0: The Puritan preacher Ralph Venning said, Carnal men love the God they make and hate the God that made them. Carnal men love the God they make and hate the God that made them. And we see the outworking of that carnality that affects the hearts of men in the book of Acts in a number of places here in Acts chapter 12, we see this carnality of men working, hating the God that made them, loving what they do, loving themselves, loving the gods that they create. The work of King Herod is in view. He's persecuting the church, specifically here James and Peter, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he set himself, he stretched forth his hands, as verse 1 says, to vex certain in the church. And that word vex comes in the original Greek. In the original Greek, it means to injure, to hurt. And hurt here is seeking to hurt and injure certain individuals within the church of Jesus Christ. In the will of God, this was taking place. We do not understand God's mind in the sense of His will. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But in the will of God here, James died, and Peter survived in the perfect plan of God. His will is not our will, but His will is perfect, and He has a sovereign purpose. And one thing we do see in the book of Acts is that God moves in and through His church. God moved in the New Testament period through His redeemed and blood-bought church. In Acts chapter 1, to give a little, I suppose, history lesson in Acts chapter 1, the Great commission was given to the apostles to go and preach the Word of God in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, enabling the apostles to be servants of God and to preach the Word with power. In Acts 3 and Acts 4, Peter and John stood firm against opposition And the church acknowledged that God is in control of their situation, no matter how negative it appears to be. In Acts 5, Peter was rescued from prison, again on a separate occasion. And he declared that we ought to obey God rather than man. And oh, there is so much here for us, the people of God, to glean from. Here's the apostle Peter cast into prison for the work of the gospel, but yet God frees him to preach and to continue preaching and to preach with boldness. And he declares we ought to obey God rather than man. And yes, there's an extent where we do obey and must obey the laws of man to glorify God. But there is a line that we should not cross. When the law of man steps over and tramples over the law of God. We ought to obey God rather than man. In Acts chapter 6, the church organized the office of the deacon to resolve the vision that had crept into her ranks. In chapter 7, we have Stephen preaching his great sermon and going to his death for the sake of the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, we see the mighty power of God in salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 9, we see the great terrorizer of God's people, Saul of Tarsus, being gloriously saved, a persecutor. A sinful wretch. A man who was involved in persecuting the church of Christ, present at the death of Stephen. A man who was the chief of sinners by his own admission. He was saved by the grace of God. In Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, we have the salvation of Cornelius, indicating that the gospel, God's purpose for the gospel, is that it reaches the ends of the earth. It reaches all people. Cornelius, a Gentile, coming to Christ. Therefore, the gospel is not merely for the Jew. It is for the Gentile. It is for the world. And when we consider these things, God's power in working through His church cannot be denied. His hand of blessing was upon His church for good. Were there hardships? Yes. Were there difficulties? Yes. Were there trials? Yes. Were there murders and martyrdom? An imprisonment, yes. But God's hand was upon it all for the good of His people and for the good of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 12, we have another incident of persecution coming upon the church. King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, who lived from 9 B.C. to 44 A.D. Paul, the apostle, I believe, would stand before the second Herod Agrippa, later on in the book of Acts, But this king stretched forth his hand to vex the church, to do evil to the church. And that is exactly what we have in this world today and what we've always had. Those in this world who seek to do harm to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Ephesians in the verses we read earlier, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he mentions that we stand against, we wrestle against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. As we mentioned this morning, there is a warfare against the church of Christ in this world. But Paul told the Corinthians, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ we're not on the losing side. Though we be discouraged, though we face hardship, we're not on the side that will be defeated by the evil one because the Word of God assures us the victory will be Christ's victory. And here we see, though there's disappointment, though there is persecution, though the church here, as we've read failed to believe. They were astonished at God answering their prayer. Peter stood before them. They were praying. They were seeking the Lord. Verse 12 tells us that they were praying. And Peter, who was in prison, came knocking on their door. They were astonished. Surely they were praying for Peter. Surely they were praying that God would be with him and God would deliver him. God had delivered before they prayed, God, we deliver it again, I'm sure. And there we find God answered their prayer and they were astonished. Dear believer, we ought not to be astonished at God answering our prayers. We ought to believe. We ought to have faith that God will answer. Christ will ultimately have the victory. And though every generation attempts to stand against God, they trample over Him, They trample over the Savior. They raise their fists heavenward. They seek to, as we read in Acts 12, to hurt the church of Christ in removing some of her servants and her apostles. God is in control. Psalm 2 reminds us, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. In derision. Oh, how we can trust the Lord and look to Him. He is in control. Dear believer, in the hardships of life and the hardships from those in this world who oppress the truth of God, let us take comfort in this, that God is in control. He has not lost His power The wicked will prosper in the will of God, but they will not prosper eternally. Jeremiah said, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore art all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reign. Jeremiah was troubled by the prospering of the wicked, and we see that around us today. The wicked prosper. But yet, their path to everlasting judgment, their path to the wrath of God is a path that is certain unless they turn to Christ. It's a path that God controls because He is on the throne. He is on the throne. Here we have the church being vexed by evil men. And I want you to consider this evening the folly of standing against God. The folly of standing against God. Here we have Herod. He's vexing the certain in the church of Christ. He killed James with the sword. And because it pleased the Jews, he decided to go after Peter. He takes Peter. He puts him in prison, planning after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And he was kept in prison. And we read in verse 5, Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Herod had his plans. The church were praying against him. And we see in this passage then the folly of standing against God. And that is something this world needs to understand. Something this world needs to recognize, that you cannot stand against God. You cannot raise your fist against God. You cannot trample over God. You cannot rip up the Word of God and go down your own path because at a certain time in the will of God, there will be judgment for you. God is in control. Man tries to rid God. He tries to rid God out of the nation and out of the schools and out of the lives of individuals that may have happened maybe in Canada a long time ago in Northern Ireland. And many of our ministers and I myself have had the privilege of going into schools, country schools, primary or I suppose elementary schools here, and bringing the gospel to the children, 100, 200 children sitting in front of you, bringing an object lesson or something about the Word of God, about the gospel, and you have the freedom to, to do that in some places. But yet even that, many doors Are shutting, many doors are shutting. Or this world desires the Word of God to be removed from everything, desires to trample over God, but yet He is the one who is in control. Killing James, killing Peter, if that were to be the case. And church history tells us later on it was the case Peter would lose his life. These things would not end the work of God. They were in His plan and purpose. But I want you to see the folly of standing against God and this is something we need to recognize as God's people to encourage us. Something if you're outside of Christ you need to recognize yourself. The folly of standing against God. Rejecting Him. Rejecting His Word. It's foolishness foolishness. And we see, first of all, here that God's power is unequaled. God's power is unequaled. We serve a living God. We serve one who created this world, one who sustains this world, one whose power is seen in His creation, a power that is unequaled. No man can match the power of God. He is infinite. We are the finite creature. And when we look at Acts chapter 12, we do see that God's power is unequaled. Man could not stand, the king himself could not stand against the power of God. The situation was worrying for the church of Christ. James had been murdered. Peter was now in prison, no doubt in the plan of Herod after Easter to bring him to the people to kill him. And Peter was securely guarded by soldiers. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, we read, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Saddu- Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and led their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, and stand in the temple, to the pe- and speak in the temple, to the- and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this Life. I can't read my own type, typed out notes on my iPad. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people, all the words of this life. It doesn't seem so hard now. They were in prison before. Peter and the apostles, they had a reputation as prisoners who had escaped, who had been freed by the angel of the Lord. And when Peter was in prison, the church responded by prayer, praying to the one who had the power to intervene. Why would you pray to God for Peter if your God had no power? They believed in the power of God. The church of the New Testament had seen the power of God. They had witnessed the power of God. The power of God had been displayed in that individual beside them in the prayer meeting and the other individual because as they heard the Word of God at the day of Pentecost, the marvel of the apostles speaking in their own languages, the marvel of the resurrected Christ, the great Savior that they preached, they believed. The power of God changed their life. And so, as the church prayed, For Peter, as the church prayed without ceasing for Peter, they were praying beside one another who had been delivered from the power of sin. By the power of God. The power of sin is not superior to God's saving power. They'd experienced that. That is something we maybe sometimes forget. God's power displayed here in this congregation. We may not visibly see it, but in a sense, we do visibly see it. We see those who've been sanctified by God's power. And why are they sanctified? Through God's power. They have been justified by God's power through the work of Christ. Their lives, your lives, have been changed from sin and from wickedness. How? By the power of Christ. Christ has made the difference. Some may have a testimony of how they were ruined in sin before Christ saved them. Some may have been saved like myself as a child and saved from all the sins that a sinful life would bring forth. It's all the power of God that we can rejoice in. I was listening to one of our American ministers testify at the week of prayer. I'm not sure whether I've told this before or not, uh, or maybe told some individuals, uh, but it's good to hear it again if I have. And he spoke about how he had received a Bible when he was leaving school. He put it in his truck almost as a good luck charm. And thinking that no harm would come because there's a Bible in the truck, And he had an accident. And God spurred his life. And when the next uh, vehicle came, well, he put the Bible in that too. He never read it. He never opened it. And he had another accident that could have turned very serious. And God spurred his life. And he began to read that Bible. And through the reading of that Bible, he was saved. And God saved him, God called him, and he's now one of our pastors in Orlando, in America. Oh, the power of God, the grace of God, even in that minister's life and in our lives, how God has moved, His power is unequaled. And when we consider Acts 12 here, they were praying together, knowing That they were sinners redeemed by the power of God. They had seen the power of God in their own lives. And of course, in Acts chapter 5, as we read here, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and other occasions where the power of God was seen. But even among themselves, they knew that this power was not a fairy tale, it was not something the apostles invented. It was real, and they looked to God and they prayed unceasingly. They had a confidence in the power of God. It is not always God's will to intervene in a situation. We see that because James lost his life. But in God's will, Peter had not finished his race, and God delivered him. We're to be in submission to the will of God. We can look at verse 1 and think, or verse 2 and think James died but Peter survived, how how can that be? Could God not have delivered them all? He had the power to do so. But in His will, He did not. His ways are not our ways, and our thoughts are not His thoughts. But dear believer, the lesson for us here is to submit to the will of God, to know His will, to do His will. His will may not be what we think it ought to be, but let us humbly submit to His will. I remember speaking to the men at the presbytery a few weeks ago when I was asked to speak about the call to the Cloverdale congregation. And I remember when I was young, not wanting to go to Bible college, I believe God was calling me, but my answer was a no. I didn't want to go to Bible college. My parents had been through Bible college, so it wasn't a strange thing in our home. It was something that I had lived through uh, for some years, and the connection with the college, and so it wasn 't this strange thing that meant nothing to me, uh, but uh, I had uh, parents who had went through our college, but i didn 't want to go to the college i didn 't want then to well go across the water or across the world to serve the Lord. Uh, but the Lord challenged me about going to Australia. And when I left college, I had the opportunity to go for a year to preach the Word of God. And I would have said to you years before that, I would love to go to Australia, but it's too far away. You have to go on a plane. And I wasn't prepared uh, to do that. Maybe I was scared of flying. I wasn't on a plane until 2003, 20 years ago and my father said to me, he says, do you want the window seat? I says, definitely not. I don't want to look out the window, and the entire flight, I was leaning across him, looking out of the window, and so uh, so came my joy of flying, uh, but I was very, I kept hearing of plane crashes, the one odd plane crash that happened here or there, and it frightened the life out of me as a young child, and uh, that's where that came from, but then I didn't want to come to Canada, and The Reverend Gallagher graciously persisted with me in coming to preach in 2017 for one Lord's Day in Cloverdale and then over to Victoria. And I eventually thought I can say no, no more to this man. And I came. I enjoyed my time there. I hated the driving. I loved the time in the churches. And I went home to Northern Ireland thinking, well, I've been to North America. I've seen a couple of the works. I've enjoyed fellowship. And... I'm not coming back. And then I came here in 2019, and well, uh, God opened the door to come back. Uh, God opened the door for a few other things as well, and then I ended up here, and uh, the Lord opened up uh, the door uh, to our Cloverdale congregation earlier this year. I had no intention of coming back uh, to Canada. I had no intention of coming here uh, and preaching the Word of God, whenever the Reverend Gallagher sat, I could probably take you to the place in his former house where he said to me that he was retiring in a few years. And I thought, wow, I didn't think he was that old, but he was. And he uh, said that, you know, in a few years' time, he would be retiring. I thought, well, I wonder, you know, who's going to replace him? Who's going to uh, come to this place to minister the Word of God? And I remember thinking, it's not going to be me. Uh, but yet, God works in mysterious ways. God works in ways that we do not understand. We have our idea of what we should do in our minds. And God has other plans. And dear believer, be submissive to the will of God. It may be opposite to what you want. It may not be as nice as what you want. I hated the driving here, driving on the wrong side of the road. Now I'm dreading going back to the UK and having to drive on the wrong side of the road. And that was one of my fears coming here. And you have no idea the amount of stress I had going to Malbur Mall whenever I came here in September 2019. I planned it all out on the GPS and the map and looking for the easiest route. And I was was sweating. I was stressed. Uh, But yet now it's nothing. Uh, But uh, these are the things that we, we have to overcome. But God's ways are not our ways. We need to get out of our comfort zone. Seek the will of God, His perfect will for our lives. The Lord is faithful. The Lord has a plan for us. And in His will, it was James, the brother of John, who would be killed. But God spurred Peter to continue working for him in His will. Believer, let us always look to the Lord and to His will. Peter still had a work to do. He was bound between men. How would he escape from prison? Well, we see the power of God. The angel came. There was a light. The chains fell off Peter. The angel escorted him out of the prison. It tells us there in verse 10, the iron gate that led to the city. It opened of His own will. It opened in a marvelous way. And these experiences with the unequal power of God did not enable Peter to write, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Dear believer, the power of God is unequal. And we, as His children, need to remember that. When we're faced with a foe, when we're faced with hardship, we serve a God who is above all these things. Who has the power. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God. When we think of creation and Moses in the Red Sea and Joshua and David's victories and the birth of Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ and the coming again of Christ, all these things, what do they show us? God's unequal power. What man can or will stand and say, no, this is not happening? Herod, there at the birth of Christ, another Herod, tried to stop the birth of the Messiah as he sought to kill all the young children, either to stop the birth or to kill the Messiah Himself. The power of God, God intervened. God intervened the almighty power of God. Oh, what a marvelous conversion or a marvelous deliverance this was. The unequal power of God. Dear believer, let us trust God. Let us trust His will. Let us trust His power. He delivered. Despite... The iron gate, despite the guards, despite the chains, God delivered. And that reminds me of those who are in sin. Chained. Helpless. They cannot free themselves. They cannot open, as it were, that iron gate by their own hands to escape the wrath of God and the power of sin. But Christ has done it all. Christ has done it all. Dear sinner, are you foolishly refusing to bow the knee to Him? Are you foolishly refusing to realize that Christ is the Savior you need, the only Savior who can deliver you? The folly of standing against God. Not only is it seen with Herod and those that oppose the church of Christ, but the folly of standing against God is seen in the sinner who stands before God and thinks that all is well. God will never judge me. God will never convict me. God will never send me to hell. Either He doesn't exist or, well, He's a God of love. He doesn't send people to hell, so men will think. But yet He does. Because they do not obey the gospel of Christ. Don't be foolish. Don't engage in the folly of thinking that you're smarter than God. Don't stand against God. Submit to Him. Submit to His will. And then secondly here, I want you to see not only that God's power is unequal, but God's punishment is unavoidable. God's punishment is unavoidable. Heard moved against the church without taking into consideration the power of God. I want you to notice moving to the end of the passage that we didn't read together, We have the same Herod in view. He sat upon his throne, verse 21. Verse 22, and the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a God, not of a man. And they're turning to Herod, and they're saying, this is the voice, not of a mere man, but our King is a God. And what does the Word of God tell us immediately? The angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. The wrath of God, the punishment of God was unavoidable. This man was a wicked man. And as the people praised him, oh, the great wonder of it. And the people rejoicing in him and honoring him and saying he was not a man, he was a God. Oh, how he would have loved that but yet he failed to give God the glory. Oh, the great lesson there is of thinking too highly of ourselves, of putting ourselves above God. That is what those in this world do when they think not of God and they believe they hold the reins themselves. He gave God not the glory, and He was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Not a very nice way to die. The wrath of God was upon him. Dear sinner, this evening the punishment of God is unavoidable. If you continue in sin, whatever you think may lie at the end of that path of your life because of sin, whether God is not the God that We say He is a God of judgment. You'll find out that He is. You'll find out that His punishment is unavoidable. The Word of God tells us how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. And the folly of those that stand against God is they do not realize, and they do not believe that the punishment of God is unavoidable. Those that obey not the gospel... Paul said that to the Thessalonians about the vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our duty is to obey the gospel and to obey Christ and to submit to Him. Lest this punishment is unavoidable. If salvation is neglected, there is no escape. There is no escape. But I want you to notice something here as we move on to our third point. God's purposes are unhindered. God's purposes are unhindered. This king, what did he seek to do? Hinder and vex and injure the church of Christ through the killing of apostles. But we find that he dies. His power to live was not superior to God's power. And verse 24: but the word of God grew and multiplied. He wanted the word of God to decrease and to die but in the plan and purpose and power of God. And in his folly as he stood against God, the Word of God grew and multiplied. And how marvelous that is in the difficult circumstances, in the hardships, in the time of persecution. When the authorities were against the church of Christ, what happened? The Word of God grew and multiplied. Do you believe that's an encouragement for you and I that in spite of all we may face in this world, whether it's inside the church or outside the church or what form that opposition takes to be faithful to Christ and to be faithful to His Word because here we have the Lord working in spite of a king. The king is removed. The problem is removed. And yes, There were other men who opposed. But in this context, Herod was removed. And God's Word grew and it multiplied. Let us always keep that as our goal and our purpose. The work of Christ. The proclamation of His Word. The salvation of sinners. That is the purpose of God. The growth of His church. When we think of The book of Acts itself, it shows us the growth of the New Testament church. It shows us the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. That despite the opposition of men, God's purpose for the church was not hindered, and the opposite took place. And the church grew despite hindrances in power and in might, and geographically, and numerically. And it also grew in regard to those who were called to preach the Word. Paul was saved a few verses. Saul of is saved. Sorry, a few chapters before. We have chapter 13, then Saul coming into the scene, Paul, and his missionary journeys. We have Timothy, we have Barnabas, we have Silas. We have all these men that God raised up Some of them like Paul coming after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and after the day of Pentecost. And as the church grew and the Word of God grew and multiplied, so did those who were called of God. God raised up men to preach the Word. And the church we see here, despite the opposition, despite the enemy, kept their eyes on the purposes of God, preached the Word, and God blessed it. And this world, men in this world, in their folly, stand against God, and what happens? God's Word grows, and it multiplies. We see the Catholic Church who tried to shut down the truth of God, tried to stop the Reformation, tried to stop Luther preaching the Gospel, tried to stop the Word of God being spread in England through William Tyndale and others burned these men at the stake, saying to the nation, if you stand for Christ, and if you stand for His Word, and if you preach salvation through Christ alone, this is where you'll be. This is where you'll end up. Death, a painful death. And what happened? The Word of God grew and multiplied. It grew and multiplied. Oh, what a challenge is here for us to stand firm. But let us encourage ourselves that God's purposes are unhindered. God's purposes are unhindered by those who seek to do the work of Christ harm. Luther said, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I think that's, that's a good hymn when I think of the amount of packing we have to do to move to B.C., let goods go. Uh, that might not be a bad thing. But that's not what he's really getting at here. Those things are unimportant. Our mortal life is unimportant. Our body is unimportant. God's truth still abides. And His kingdom is forever. It cannot be hindered by man. And dear believer, we serve in that kingdom. We live for Christ in that kingdom. We proclaim that kingdom. We are ambassadors for that kingdom. Let us faithfully serve the Lord in that kingdom. Guide me O thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Oh, how true that is. Here we see Peter. He's weak. He's in prison. God is mighty. The king is powerful in his own mind, but yet in the sight of God, he's weak. And the Word of God prospered. Let us put our hands to the plow. Let us look to Christ. Let us look to His Word. And let not the opposition take us away from what our duty is, to love Christ, to glorify Christ, and to preach and serve Christ. And then finally, and connected to this, we see that God's people are unwavering. God's people are unwavering. Notice what verse 5 says, prayer was made without ceasing off the church unto God for Him. The church prayed. They recognized the need for prayer, and this is why Men standing against God is folly. God has a people who must be and ought to be unwavering in the place of prayer, praying without ceasing, praying faithfully to the God of heaven. And they recognized the need for prayer. Peter was in prison. James had been killed. Peter was next. It was believed. And they were praying that God would spur his life, that God would In His will, free His servant. He was Peter. He was not the first pope. He was an important vessel of God in the work of Christ within the church. He was a man that the church of Christ needed, and they had vision for that, and they prayed, and they prayed. I'm sure they would have had grief, but their grief was not uncontrollable. It was not a grief that drove them away from the place of prayer. But they came to the place of prayer. They came together and they prayed. Herod stretched forth his hands to vex certain. He was against the church, but yet the church came together and they prayed. And I think that is an important point we have here. They did not look at the situation in which they could be in danger for praying and for meeting. They still did it anyway. They came and they met with the Lord. Dear believer, let us recognize the need for prayer. Let us have vision. Let us pray. Let us pray for individuals. Let us pray for needs unceasing. They realized persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. They prayed without ceasing. They didn't give up. We're used today to... Fast food. We're used today, used at today to getting things quickly, to ordering something on Amazon. Today, or not today, maybe tomorrow, but say it was today, we would get it tomorrow. It is fast. We're used to sending a text message to someone on the other side of the world. Ten seconds later, maybe less, their phone gives them the message. We're used to things happening quickly. But when it comes to the work of God, patience is needed. Patience is needed. And here they needed to have patience. Peter was not delivered instantly. Instantly. Time passed by, and these verses indicate that some time had passed by. Maybe not a lot of time, but certainly several days at least passed by. And they prayed without ceasing and they prayed persistently. It's a principle that has marked the church of Christ. Paul, when he spoke to the Thessalonians, encouraged them to pray without ceasing. Dear believer, do you pray? When we look at this world and the folly of men who stand against God, part of that is God's people are unwavering in the place of prayer. Be persistent. And then I want you to see they received the answer to their prayer. Yes, they were astonished. As we read, verse 16, but the reply came. The reply came. Let us pray, let us believe, let us look to the Lord for answers. This church can trace its roots back to a prayer meeting that was held many years ago, the late 1940s perhaps, a long time ago. To an old church in Belfast, a small group of men came together to pray. Dr. A.M. Paisley was one of them, Dr. John Douglas another. He was but a young boy, teenage boy at that time. They came together and they prayed, and what happened? God blessed the ministry. Souls were saved. A stand was taken against the apostasy of that day. The Free Presbyterian Church was born. That's our history here. It may be thousands of miles away, but it's our history here. That's why we have that name, Free Presbyterian. God worked in those days, and His work grew, and His work expanded under that banner of the Free Presbyterian Church, traced back to a permitting, an all-night permitting, that men who were faithful to God had. Prayer is important. And when we look at this world attacking the church of Christ and attacking the believer, it isn't folly. But let us pray. And let us pray persistently. Let us pray to the Lord. And let us pray to the one who has that great purpose, who has that unequal power, the one who does His will, and no man can stand against it. May we be encouraged tonight to pray, encouraged tonight to obey the Lord, and to stand with Him in this evil age. May the Lord bless His Word for His name's sake. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy truth this evening. We pray Thou would bless it to us, Thou would apply it to our hearts. Oh the folly of this world, but we thank Thee for Christ. We thank Thee for the Savior. We thank Thee we are redeemed by Thee. And we pray, O God, that Thou would press upon us the importance of prayer, the importance of Thy will. And, Father, may this world realize that all its efforts against Thee are in vain because Thou art on the throne. Father, we pray Thou would be with us this week. Bless us in all that we do. Bless the prayer meeting on Tuesday evening with our brother, the Reverend Simpson. We ask Thee thou that would part us now with thy blessing, and may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.